Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Game Changers, brought to you by Watch Your Game. In this series, I aim to explore the minds of people working in the Web3 gaming industry. For more Web3 gaming, live play, interviews, and reviews, check out watchyourgame.com. Game with a three. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Hello everyone, and welcome back to Game Changers by Watch Your Game. Today, I'm joined by Annie, CEO of ETH Lizards. So Annie, what's your backstory? Yeah, so my origin story in uh, in Web3 really goes back to finding uh, a couple of projects, Alluvium and Star Atlas, actually, in uh, the, the mid to late 2021 cycle. And I, I really identified that, uh, that Web3 tech was going to become uh, an absolute game changer in the gaming industry, and uh, I was I was looking for investment opportunities, and ended up really finding more of a what became a passion project for my of mine for uh, several you know, several months. Um, as I went deeper down the the rabbit trail, as it were, um, with a couple of those projects, uh, really became fully fully um, confident that. Web3 gaming was going to be the killer use case for, for blockchain technology. Uh, as a lifelong gamer um, who has played dozens of different genres of games, I'm the oldest of four boys. My dad was a gamer. And so literally from the time I was like five years old, I remember you know, playing Coleco and sitting on his lap with, you know, with his, his old, you know, old computers back in the day and uh, you know, just grew up as a, a lifelong gamer. And with that, you know, it became easy to recognize the potential of the sector, um, and so I, you know, after spending probably six to nine months really researching and learning about the technology, learning about the sector, um, began to get much more involved in uh, working with different projects. Uh, this included uh, eventually serving as council member on a couple of projects, including uh, Alluvium and ETH Lizards, uh, consulting with some other groups that were uh, both on the investment side and on the building side of, of Web3. Uh, and then that kind of led me uh, to where I am now, which is uh, over time, I, I became much more involved with ETH Lizards as a studio. And um, early on this year, this is uh, late 2023 at the time of the recording, um, I was asked to come on as the CEO of the project uh, and really scale up what we're working on as, as a studio, um, building some interconnected gaming experiences with different top partners. So. That's a little bit of my background uh, from a Web3 standpoint. Um, outside of, of Web3, um, I grew up as a, as a software developer, a computer engineer by training. Uh, I've worked in uh, a number of different management roles, including um, IT, uh, human resources, strategy, logistics, uh, across the world, a uh, number of different uh, sectors. Uh, primarily manufacturing was is the longest time in my career, um, and uh, really, really just couldn't, couldn't be happier than to have the chance to be working in gaming as an industry now uh, with the chance to watch it evolve as Web3 begins to take over the space. Lots of interesting tidbits in there, which I'm sure we'll be touching on as we kind of go through. But you mentioned ETH Lizards already and your kind of position within there. So what exactly is it that you're working on right now with ETH Lizards? Yeah, so we uh, we started as a as uh, project focused on Web3 game investing. Uh, so we, we began as a basically a DAO that looked for early stage projects. Um, earlier this year, we pivoted and now added a second uh, core dimension to the studio. Uh, and that's what I'm focused on. So we're building out 
a series of game uh, experiences, mini games, meta games, uh, additional companion applications and solutions that plug in on top of some of the top tier studios that are building in the space right now. So it, it's really difficult to build a, a AAA quality game. I know AAA is like the most overused acronym in the sector, but honestly, it's it's difficult to build even just a good game that that has traction, has sustainable end game loops that players want to play in. Um, when we found those studios, though, our intention is to really support them, be it financially or uh, what I'm more focused on uh, in, in my role right now is making sure that we can build out uh, these these additional experiences that make it more sticky for players. So that might look like uh, taking a single player experience and turning it into a multiplayer uh, opportunity of some kind. It, it might be um, building some additional utility in for existing assets within you know, that a game studio has created as Web3 NFTs and actually building out an entirely new game structure around those that didn't exist before. So those are some of the key uh, co concepts. Um, I'll give you a few examples later on of, of what we've got already in the works. Um, and in the very short term, uh, my focus right now is on our seed raise. So uh, we we raised enough early this year to build out for, for just under a year. And uh, now are focused on continuing to scale that, um, having shown with our proof of concepts uh, the potential of, of what we think this technology can become um, in the you know, in the space going forward. I think it's really interesting, and I like the different directions that you're looking to take ETH Lizards in. And you mentioned kind of that ETH Lizards were there, and then you got more involved, and then at the start of the year, like you say, you you took up this new position. How was your journey kind of into finding ETH Lizards, kind of deciding to get involved, and how did it progress through to kind of where you are now? So, so I started um, pretty soon after the second the second uh, um, collection of ETH Lizards was minted. Uh, so there, there are two main collections. There's the Genesis and then uh, what are known as the Venture ETH Lizards. Um, I was in the Alluvium community, ignored the project for, for a while just because I was like, hey, this seems a little bit too degen for me. Uh, just a, you know, a bunch of traders sharing alpha. And um, as I started getting more and more involved in the, the space, I recognized there were so many amazing builders, uh, so many great investors that really had a pulse on the industry um, that I wanted a chance to be more involved. Um, one of the content creators in the community at the time actually uh, put a video out and explained where ETH Lizards was going with this idea that uh, it would become an investment DAO. And that was something that appealed to me a lot, having access to early stage uh, opportunities, seed round, pre-seed rounds, uh, was something that I was personally interested in. And um, I I jumped into ETH Lizards uh, at that point in time and uh, pretty quick, like this was this was during the uh, the early days of 2022 and pretty quickly then um, uh, got got fully lizard pilled as it were and, uh, you know, pulled all the way into the community. Um, lots and lots of great, uh, you know, great other other folks in Web3 that really helped me along my journey in learning more about different projects, um, getting a lot of information uh, for studios that were building. And um, then from there, I, you know, I became more involved as I had access to some deal flow uh, from different projects as they were coming into the sector um, that eventually led me to become a council member in Unique Blizzards on the investment side. And kind of the rest is history from there. Just uh, stayed involved with that project as well as you know, a host of others in Web3 uh, and being a, more of an ecosystem group 
that's building alongside a whole host of, of top tier games just made sense because I've been very focused on sort of a broad look at the industry, not not really um, honing in on a single project. And that appealed to me a lot with Ethosword specifically. I like that it was kind of seeing other people that got you lizard pilled, as you said. That's that's where I ended up getting my lizard from was uh, constant interaction with people, kind of from eat lizards. And I was like, oh, I'll get myself a lizard as well. Um, you you'd kind of touched on the fact that you were already in Alluvium and eat lizards were kind of scouting around Alluvium to start with. Um, for those that don't know, Alluvium's, I think it's got three core games it's going with. Maybe there's a fourth one. Not, I'll, I'd have to double check, but I'm sure. I know there's the Overworld, the Auto Battler, and then the the kind of Alpha Land, uh, the building. Um, it, as someone who's kind of coming from that game anyway, why do you think ETH Lizards was so kind of taken with Alluvium? And I know until, well, until recently, to be honest, I kind of tied the two together as, as very much tied to a single project in terms of Alluvium. Yeah, so so actually it's it's because Ethlizard started in the Alluvium Discord. So there was a, a very like hardcore alpha degen channel in the Alluvium Discord that uh, certainly wasn't for everyone, but it, but like if you were really trying to get uh, as deep into Web3 gaming as possible, um, that was one of the places to be in late 2021. And so the ETH Lizards as a, as a project started with a handful of those uh, those DGENs basically saying, hey, we want to create a fun meme project. Uh, the original Genesis artwork uh, was designed then by that group. Uh, and so so that's why there's always been, and, and of course, there's always going to be a tie between Alluvium and ETH Lizards. Um, what you saw, though, is as the community expanded, uh, a lot more people were like, hey, you know, I, I want to become a part of this. Uh, we spoke earlier, I guess, but about, you know, Wolvesdale before the, the recording started. Um, ETH Lizards and, and both Wolvesdale are communities that I think tend to just attract knowledgeable people in the sector. And eventually there's always a, a push that you want to expand the communities to allow more people in uh, because they're just adding value across the space. And so um, that was true for ETH Lizards as well. Uh, that was why the second collection was created to give a chance to to onboard more people in and really grow the strength of the project. And so, you know, I, that that's why I think Alluvium is always going to have a key, you know, key place in the, not just the lore, but also you know, as a, a main partner for ETH Lizards as a studio. And now, because we had a chance to speak a bit more about some of the bits that you've been building in terms of ETH Lizards now and the, the idea of spreading out across into um, additional games, is that, because of the more people coming in or is it that in this bear market we've actually been quite lucky that we're seeing a lot more games that are of a decent quality come out so there's a lot more for you to be interested in what's kind of the drivers for spreading your wings a little bit so i would say that over the last couple of years uh, eth lizards actually moved, moved quite a quite a bit away from focusing on alluvium too much because again our our main driver was looking at early stage gaming projects and, and Alluvium was not that when when ETH Lizards really got spun up. It was pretty far along compared to most other studios in the development cycle um, once ETH Lizards really kind of found our footing as a studio. And so uh, we've got a dozen projects that we're directly connected with from our portfolio sub-DAO. Um, kind of coming back to Alluvium made sense when we began looking at projects that we would build out our first 
our first interconnected gaming experiences with. And so um, the first of those is Battle in the Beyond. We can chat about that a bit. Um, but I think, you know, on your other recent cast, uh, we had a chance to really dive into it. Um, in general, though, uh, our vision for ETH Lizards has always been to have uh, the the central position in Web3 gaming by virtue of being connected to dozens of the top studios that are building. Now, we want those to be great experiences. And so those don't just happen. It, take, it takes you know, hard work. It takes good devs. It takes good design and, and you know, artists and creatives uh, in your studio to help build those experiences in the way that they need to be to create something that's sustainable and interesting and engaging. Um, but if you do that and, and have a clear focus on it one at a time, uh, pretty soon, because of the types of experiences we're building, um, our target is to have uh, roughly five of these uh, projects that we're connected to by the end of next year. And so if we can continue at that same pace, um, this begins to take on a life of its own, where being you know a key player and a key partner with uh, a number of these these amazing studios, as you mentioned, that are finally launching great games this this year coming up, uh, really is going to create something that no one has seen in the industry before because there hasn't been enough of these games available to be playing uh, in the first place. And and in terms of looking for these new projects, and you described trying to get in early to kind of help out more with them, I understand obviously it wouldn't just be your decision in which ones to go for, but when you're looking for games to maybe suggest to others in the, the community, what type of things are key for you when you're looking for these games whether it's um, i'm assuming it'll be different for whether it's just to get involved with the project rather than building but just to start getting more involved with the project what's the key kind of flags for you yeah so for me uh, i'm going to look at uh, four key items the first one is the team always if if you don't have a good team that's going to be able to execute on on their vision um, it doesn't matter. Nothing else matters, right? So, so having a good mix of both Web two and Web three experience is crucial. This is how we constructed the Eplazer team. Is we've got we've got folks that are, uh, I would say, more Web two native and Web three native. I think this is essential for any game that wants to be in Web three. You have to have both, and you have to have both among the executive team. So that's uh, that sort of team and leadership composition is really critical. Um, secondly, you need to understand how and why you're using the Web3 tech. So Web3 has a lot of options available. Um, I see a lot of projects that basically just assume, well, if we slap a token on top of a Web2 game, you know, we're now Web3, and this is just going to magically make the game more successful. It, it doesn't, and in fact, that, that often can break the entire structure of what made a good Web2 game good in the first place. And so you know, ha having a clear understanding of what and why you're going to be leveraging, be they tokens or NFTs or DAO structures or you know, other blockchain elements, that that really, I think, is a, a critical piece for any game studio. And that's unique, obviously, to, to Web3. You don't see that as a requirement for Web2 studios. Um, the third thing I'm, I'm looking for is the ability to um, have a game that stands out from the crowd, but not too much. And this may sound a little bit counterintuitive, but if, if I find a studio that's trying to build a game that, that's trying to create an entire genre that's never existed before and do so in Web3 and do so with a startup organization, it's it's just not going to work. There's too many moving parts. So I'm looking for, for a studio that recognizes what is their unique value proposition that they're doing that's better than 
their competitors if they're a first person shooter game like okay why why am i going to come play with you instead of any one of the myriad options in web 2 or frankly dozens of web 3 competitors that are out here today like what's that hook um and so looking for that that clear understanding of why they're building something unique that has staying power uh, is essential. And then the last piece is they need to have a sustainable structure in terms of uh, finances. So they need to have enough runway to be and, and have raised enough funds to build out whatever it is that they're planning to build. Um, they need to have sustainable economic structures within their gameplay. Um, and they need to have sustainable marketing and user acquisition and retention because um, a lot of studios that I have seen that have now built pretty solid games uh, that, that I've played and tested and I think are engaging, they don't have a good enough marketing team to be able to really scale to the level they need to, to survive long-term. And so having all of those for me is wrapped up in the sustainability question um, that if I don't see those really uh, appear, it, it's not a project that I think we we and the Ethlizard side would be able to spend a lot of resources supporting. Of course, we're going to collab and, and partnership uh, and partner with them but for us to take the decision to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to build out a, a mini game with them, we have to be very con confident in terms of all of those elements that I lined up. Um, and as you said, it's not just me. It's going to be our team. It's going to be uh, our advisory team that, that many of them are very well connected across the industry. And so we're using all of that information to really evaluate and, and make decisions on sort of our different tier levels of where we see each project at the moment. You bring up some really good points with the flags you're looking at. I think the idea of having some familiarity, not making something completely new, is something that kind of gets missed a little bit. People always worry that it's, it's close to copying, but pe people like familiarity, something that's far too new. There's no kind of test cases. You don't know how it's going to perform. So getting people involved and understanding what you're going to have to spend is going to be a challenge. And then the idea of the project itself being sustainable. Everyone talks about the tokens and the economy being sustainable. And a lot of people tend to forget that the projects need to make money. And quite a lot of them haven't even looked into how they're going to monetize their content. So their runway could be quite long, but if you're not topping it back up, it, it still has an endpoint. Yes. Um, so I think those are kind of key flags um, to be looking out for. And you did touch on some of the potential kind of warning signs that you'd see. But what do you think is the biggest challenge that projects are facing right now in Web3? So I think that a lot of studios bit off more than they could chew. And a lot of the time, these were newer teams, newer studios that had never built anything of the magnitude that they're constructing now. And frankly, they're learning why game development as a sector is so is so brutal. Um, it costs a lot of money and and time and resources to build out a good game and i think a lot of studios basically they they performed a raise and said well you know we're just going to raise enough to to get an mvp out the door and then we'll come back and raise again and that might work if you're hitting sort of the, the market cycles and the right timing uh and you can raise when everyone's you know super loose with cash as far as you know the vcs and, and angel investors uh but if you're hitting this in the the sort of downturn like we've seen over the last year or year and a half now, um, it's a lot more difficult to have a you know an additional raise to to push your studio forward if you don't have something meaningful out already. And so 
I think, you know, I think not having funding secured was probably the biggest challenge for a lot of the studios that I see today. Um, that's just at a kind of macro level. Um, for some of the studios that are, are more sustainable and, and they've had appropriate uh, capital that they can deploy, it's, it's figuring out how to incorporate Web3 elements in a way that is sustainable. And um, those, the, 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 you know, the, the listings on OpenSea are replete with projects that, that sold NFTs and, and you can look, go, go out and look on, uh, you know, token prices from all these projects that launched that they now see like there wasn't an appropriate structure in place. They didn't have the sinks and faucets set up correctly behind their economy and ended up getting into a lot of trouble now a year or two years down the road. And so this is the one that even good studios, I think, have to be very cautious of. And a lot of times there are no do-overs. If you have bad tokenomics, um, we've seen studios try to, you know, airdrop new new tokens and restructure their economies uh, foundationally. That erodes a lot of trust in in investors and in uh, you know their player base, and so I think that's the biggest challenge. Is a lot of these decisions can be long term, you know, years years long errors if the studios aren't really careful. The idea of player trust and the token and the token prices, I find quite interesting, just because we often see that people check the token price, see whether it's performing or not and then use that as an equivalent to whether the game's good or not. And as you mentioned, a lot of these projects might just have kind of hurt themselves by having poor tokenomics, but the game's still solid. Is this something you expect people to maybe start changing from when they're kind of putting out these projects? And is it something that you've seen with some of the newer projects you're starting to see when you're trying to find these new projects to get involved with? Yeah, so I think that Tokens are always going to, maybe not always, but at least for the next few cycles, they're going to often be used by studios just to to raise capital. It's it's a simpler way of doing that um, in a in a, a global space, um, and I I think we'll continue to see that usage of tokens. I do expect that over the next maybe one to two cycles, we're going to see less and less of the projects that are using a token as part of like. Uh, in-game rewards and emission structures and so forth, and really more focus on okay, you know, if, if I want to play the game, how do I, you know, how can I pay money to get something that's of interest to me, right? Whether it's in-game assets, whether it's cosmetics and skins, you know, whether it's access, you know, it's paying for different gameplay loops. There's there's a whole host of ways that you can monetize a game, and players are open to to most of them, frankly. Um, you know, we've seen in in Web two, many of these are predatory types of of monetization methodologies that Web three can do it better. Uh, you know, in terms of like tournament structures and prize pools, you can do a lot better job in Web three than you ever could in Web two. But a lot of studios have gone overboard and they've taken that concept and said, well, therefore we should just pay everyone to play our game. And you you don't have a game then. What you have is a, a job um, that people are wanting to work across the globe because they're getting paid for it. But again, people are only going to do a job as long as they're getting paid an appropriate amount of money that they they think is worth their time. And so, you need the opposite. You need you need uh, a structure that people are willing to pay you for something that you're providing in the entertainment space. And and I think you're going to see less and less tokens used and more assets over the coming years. 
I definitely agree. I think assets, whilst there is the potential for speculation on them, and you'll see people holding in-game items, hoping they go up if they get rarer, I think it's a lot less likely than people speculating just on a token. And that idea of having spenders who are happy because they're spending money for entertainment, that's key. The the promise that everyone's going to profit, well, money doesn't come from nowhere. Everyone going to profit is just the tagline of a Ponzi. Um, having people who are willing to spend, that's where the profit or the earnings for a small section of the audience might come from. But without an engaging game that gets people, like you say, interested in paying for skins, interested in paying for something that just benefits them in game without any thought of return, you're going to struggle to make anything sustainable. So I'm looking forward to more things that encourage you to spend because you want to, rather than you might get something back. Um, And then kind of on that idea of things that are more, I guess a flex is probably the right way of saying it. The battle uh, in the beyond that Ecclesiastes has built as kind of a companion to Alluvium right now. A lot of that, whilst it does have the Alluvials, which are the kind of creatures that you play with, the majority then comes down to more of the kind of cosmetics, whether it's, like I'm sure there was a dog collar in one of the ones I was looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, probably be Alluvium, uh, Alluvial collar. Do you think that the fact that they're already looking more towards cosmetic skins for this showing off is a good sign that other projects should look at when they're considering what should be a token what should be like an nft yeah so i think i think that alluvium is is certainly one of the the more not most but more ambitious projects in the the sector uh, i would say and as such uh the the part that's always attracted me to the project is that they understand and um what they're building very well maybe as well as, as almost anyone else in the space and they also understand which which elements need to be appealing to which types of gamers, right? So uh, they know who the audience is for the auto battler, the arena gameplay. The same thing for the creature collectors, for the overworld. Same thing for the the land game, uh, Alluvium Zero. The same thing for the Alluvatars and Alluvium Beyond that, that you just mentioned. And each one of those, they've been very careful about targeting to the right potential uh, uh, audience. So the, the folks that want to purchase a customizable cosmetic, like, like the Iluvatars here, um, that's a different player profile than someone that wants to play an auto battler at a you know, uh, top in the world uh, tier you know, like, like TFT, right? Th- those are different players. Um, and that's okay, because if you are building a, a studio that has multiple titles, and you're assuming that you, you're sharing the same players across all the titles, you're probably doing it wrong um, because it, that's not really expanding your player base at all if you're just cannibalizing players from one of your titles to another one. And so making sure that you're building out it and targeting each of the products to someone that's going to be interested in it is critical. And so with with that, as you mentioned, the the uh, customizable accessories uh, with, the, with the cosmetics and, and the skins, that's a different type of player um, that we we know and we we see them in web 2 all the time um some studios in web 2 have really just gone like one direction or another and they said we can only have cosmetics here or others it's you know hey uh, pay 60 bucks for you know for this particular title and you can play it all you want and then we're going to have dlc and and everything else that's going on after the fact some lean into gotcha mechanics all of those models can work um i think some are probably better for the player in terms of transparency than others 
Um, but at least being upfront and, and honest with the player about what they're paying for, I think gives you a chance to ha- you know, be able to be successful regardless of who you're appealing to. Uh, as long as, as I mentioned earlier, you're targeting that marketing to the right player set. I think that's a key point, and I'm interested to see how this changes as the audience of Web3 itself changes, because right now we're a very kind of niche audience, uh, a lot more people willing to take risks, definitely focused a lot more on collecting because that's what Web3 is, so they've kind of already been drawn in, so it's a bit of a biased population right now. If if we take a step away from Web3, maybe, maybe we'll still be in Web3, who knows, what game have you played most in your life? Um, it, it's almost assuredly World of Warcraft by by hours, um, and I, I'm probably loath to admit it. Uh, it it's not only uh, well over a thousand; it's probably closer to you know, um, yeah, it's probably it's probably closer to fifteen hundred total days played of, of WoW over the the last year. So, like um, in general, uh, I don't I don't condone that. Uh, so that I I go all the way back to, like to the original classic, um, and uh, you know, having played both you know, both the original played on a number of private servers as well as uh, you know additionally with you know with the relaunch here with the you know, with vanilla um, having a chance to to really be able to um, you know to to find other other friends and make that really a part of my gaming experience um, where. It was as much about community as it was about the core gameplay itself. Um, was was really, I think, a defining moment for me. Being able to experience a virtual world um, that carried over, and and you had you know guildmates that you then went and played other games with as well. Um, but this, I think, was was absolutely a key uh, you know, kind of um, uh, point in my life um, when I was in college, uh, and and so I'm dating myself a little bit. And and the the game originally came out back in the, back in the original vanilla days. Um, and then, kind of seeing it evolve over time um, was uh, was definitely the most played hours that I've gotten anything. You are not the most WoW played, but you're definitely going up there. I think someone I'm trying to think who it was said that they played 250 days worth in one year, which wow. sounds unhealthy, to be honest. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it does. that that seems very unhealthy. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, th- I think if if you're spreading it out over over the better part of two decades, it's not it's not quite so bad. Um, it still still feels bad when you think about it. And, you know that that much detail, but uh, for sure. So that that was a quick look at your gaming past. What are you excited for in the next three to six months? Yeah, so next three to six months, I would say the um, really the opportunity to see a lot of these top tier uh, titles come into their own and be fully live uh, is is absolutely what I'm most keen on. Uh, many of these studios have been building for for years and years, and they've been in alpha, they've been in beta uh, states for a while now, and I continue to see it like with, with our partner studios as we look at, uh, it seems like every single day I'm getting a telegram or email or your know, Discord message, hey, we're about to drop, you know, such and such a new you know, beta content. Hey, PVP is coming out for this title. Hey, we've you know we're launching on uh, you know mobile enabled uh, option you know next month. Like those kind of messages um, are coming at a much faster pace now than they were if you go back to 2022 and and even earlier this calendar year. And so I'm excited to see some of these studios really have a chance to showcase what they've built 
and find out what gamers really think about Web3 when you have good games behind them. Right? I, I think that the uh, you know the, the traditional mantra of Web3 gamers just you know or I'm sorry uh, Web2 gamers are never going to consider Web3 because they just they hate NFTs and this is a terrible sector and it's all a Ponzi and you know, the gameplay all sucks like that probably was fair. All of those criticisms were uh, over previous years. It's not in 2023 anymore. Even now in, in November of 2023, that's not the case. Uh, we can see that with games that are already live. And there's a lot more that are going to disprove a lot of those those fallacies uh, going into 2024. And so that's what I'm most keen about, uh, just watching the sector really start to come into its own. Sounds very positive, and I agree. I think from what we've seen and what the releases we see, it's difficult to even keep up with them all now, whereas previously you could keep up with most of the ones that were games rather than staking platforms. So I'm very excited as well to see those kind of developments come out. Just going a bit more professional in terms of work and your experience, you've kind of moved into the position of CEO of ETH Lizards after coming in and getting interested. There's always people on Twitter, on Discord, looking to drop the Web Zero life and become full Web Three. What advice would you give for someone who's looking to switch permanently to working in Web Three? Yeah, so I think the key is you need to have a good sense of what sort of role you can perform well in Web Three, and I, I encourage people to look at transferable skills. So, um, you having having a, a series of of um, skill sets, knowledge, education, experience from Web 2, uh, it can be difficult to see how, how would this look if I wanted to actually move to Web 3. Like maybe I'm a, uh, you know, I'm someone who's working in sales um, and like I don't, I don't see a clear pathway forward. Think about the specific skill set that you've developed as, you know, as a, a sales rep maybe um, and how would that translate, right? So you're good presumably at uh, communicating with other people. You're good at uh, building pitches and building uh, you know, uh, uh, details to outline uh, specific uh, product benefits. You're good at selling a vision, right? What does that look like in Web3? Well, maybe something like a business development role could could be a better fit here. You know, you, you've got an opportunity to work in, as a partnership lead or or something of that nature with a studio. Um, you know, maybe, maybe some of those skills in terms of communication would be very helpful in uh, community support facing function. Um, so looking for those areas where you might be able to pivot from a particular um, type of you know, type of role within the industry that you're in into something that's not going to be identical but can fit in Web three is really important because as for instance as a um, you know as as a leader who's going to be recruiting uh, more than than I already have this calendar year like I'm always looking for good talents it doesn't always appear staring you in the face I mean some some roles. Okay, if I need a, a you know someone who's going to be a, a back end dev, okay, if the person hasn't ever done de software development, I, it's not really going to work here. But if someone has done you know, software development before, you know maybe an, an ERP system, are they going to be able to come over and do some dev work for us on the back end uh, in a project like ETH Lizards? Maybe you know that's not a direct carryover, but there's probably some you know some good you know, good experience that we might be able to benefit from. Uh, and that's true regardless of what type of industry in Web3 uh, you might be keen on. Um, but really understanding who you are. And then um, I would say create uh, create two or three types of roles uh, and, and you know kind of put them down on paper. What is it that you think would be an interesting function to move to? 
so so as long as you're able to really um, identify the types of roles that you're interested in uh, and and then kind of outline a path to get there, uh, this is what I would encourage anyone who wants to make a move. It, it's it's certainly stressful to to make a, a big career shift over to Web3 full time. But if you were to outline these are two or maybe three types of positions that I think that I could do based on those those transferable skills, and then I would honestly just take advantage of the fact that Web3 is so open and transparent. Go talk to some people in different projects that are working in those roles today and ask them, hey, will you tell me about your background? How did you get to work in this particular function? Um, and then just be on the lookout for different studios or different projects that are looking to fill those roles. Um, but but really start somewhere. And I, this is this is probably the most important piece. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about, about our backgrounds, some you know, I, I also started with content creation in the early days when I, when I really became, well, if I was knowledgeable enough about the industry to start making content, that gave me visibility uh, in the space. And so being someone that, that's doing some hard work, putting yourself out there will get you noticed. And then if you've got a, a good solid skill set behind that, someone's going to absolutely give you some offers on uh, you moving into some, some more permanent roles, even if starting out part-time, starting out as a you know, volunteer, and then just working your way up like any other new career change, I think is the best way to make that transition. I think the idea of knowing what you've got and what you could deliver and how to get there is key. I think sometimes people are worried that they need to be the final project straight away. And I think that is because of what you mentioned, like it's a massive shift change. So I think if, if you're going to do something like that, knowing that you're only on the first step rather than the last step can definitely be a bit daunting. I know so far there's nothing that's been tempted me away from my Web 0 to Web 3, but I will, I will keep my uh, foot in Web 3 just to kind of see how that, that goes on. And you've shared a lot of insights and wisdom about Web 3 as well as what you kind of see for the future. For anyone who's looking to know more about what you're thinking, what you're up to, where is the best place for people to stay up to date with you? Sure. So I'm uh, I'm certainly going to be most active in Discord. Uh, this is going to be uh, around a host of projects. So primarily eFlizzards, of course, given my role, but also with a lot of our partner, you know, partner organizations. So uh, Alluvium being the the main one that's announced thus far. Um, but but we've got a whole host of other studios that we're going to be sharing that we are formalizing partnerships with in the coming months. And so um, I'm already across all of their discords today. Um, if you want to just uh, get random musings from time to time. Uh, you can come catch me on Twitter. Uh, that'll be both uh, in on my own uh, handle at Animositas1, um, as well as I'll, I'll drop into a number of different shows, uh, Gamified and, and some others um, that uh, you'll get a chance to, to hear me talk a little bit about the industry in general. Um, that's certainly uh, my favorite is just to, to really evaluate what we see as, as upcoming trends and, and what's the, the best, most exciting elements that are being built today. Um, but also really to, to help make connections because the space is still so early uh, in terms of the, the number of builders that are here that um, you get a chance to, to really feel super connected to a lot of the best projects um, just by sticking around for a while and engaging with different communities. Well, I think it sounds very exciting. I'm hoping that your vision of the future comes true with the different games that you mentioned, and I'm interested to see where ETH Lizard goes next. So thanks for joining me, and I'm sure I'll catch you in a bit. Awesome. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for more insights into the world of Web3 Gaming.
And if you need to experience more Web3 gaming content, check out whatsyourgame.com. Game with a three. And remember to look for games that you enjoy. And I'll see you next time.